I'm Therese Weekly and this is Unashamed. We're at a park today. It's nice to have the kids around enjoying the... It's not really that warm, <laughs> but it's sunny. And in West Michigan, we kind of take what we can get, right? Um, I have Erica with me who is part of a group called Al-Anon. Um, <laughs> <it's laughs> we're like, might as well not be here, right? Which is kind of appropriate since this is an anonymous group, a group of anonymous members that you work with, which is one reason we won't give her last name. But um, I have talked a lot in this podcast about uh, losing my sister and some of the support groups that are available to help people who might have family members or other loved ones um, who are struggling with mental health issues or addiction. And often those two go hand in hand. And, um, and that was the case with my sister too. Um, I don't know what came first, the chicken or the egg, but she struggled with both a lot and both kind of fueled the other, each kind of fueled the other. So since we've, I've talked about these different groups that are available, including Al-Anon, I wanted um, to give a better understanding of the kind of support that people might find in these groups. You've been involved with Al-Anon, so we've talked before, for more than 10 years, what, 15 years? So, for the purposes of this conversation, like, Al-Anon members generally don't disclose how long they've been in Al-Anon. Oh, okay. And, it's, and there's a reason for that. It's because I've been to meetings where people said, like, the person in the room with the most recovery is the one who got up earliest that morning. <laughs> um, because this is a, a program that we do one day at a time. So I have been coming for a long time. Um, and I, I will say, I started going to Al-Anon in my early 20s, and now I'm in my early 40s. So you can do the math on that. Um, but also, you know, everybody recovers at their own pace and comes for their own reasons. So it's really important to know that, like, you know, I, I just do this one day at a time. So I'm going to go to a meeting tonight, um, and that's going to be the meeting that I have today. Um, and that's going to be a part of my recovery just for today. So that's kind of how we have perspective on that in Al-Anon. You hear of that in life a lot, that you only have this moment, you can't live in the past, you can't live in the future, so it seems kind of appropriate that that's how the approach would be. Yeah, it's actually one of the beautiful things about Al-Anon is that's something that we practice together in, in our meetings and in our, um, we have relationships with each other that are like Al-Anon friendships, but we also have something called sponsorship, so Al-Anon is a 12-step recovery program, and the one that most people are probably familiar with is Alcoholics Anonymous, AA, um, and people have sponsors that have gone through the 12 steps of recovery, and we have that in Al-Anon, too, so I have a sponsor, I am a sponsor, and those relationships remind me, like, I can call my sponsor, like, freaking out about something that might happen in two months, and she'll be like, okay, how can you take care of yourself today? What can you do for yourself right now? So a lot of our program reminds us to come back to this moment where we do have power and control, because I started coming to Al-Anon because I loved people who had problems with drinking. The drinking bothered me, your family members and friends. And there's a lot of people in my life who that it 
we, we call it like the family disease. It, it comes with a bunch of other stuff. So a part of the way that I was affected by alcoholism is like um, in my family growing up, like both of my parents were adult children of alcoholics. And there's a lot of like disease and dysfunction in my family around that. There were a lot of secrets. There was a lot of abuse. There's a lot of stuff that came with it. Um, so we talk about, you know, that I don't get to decide if you belong in Al-Anon. That's up to you to decide. But the only requirement for membership is the problem of alcoholism and a relative or friend that's like somebody's drinking bothers me basically so maybe like is it just drinking or could it be any addiction it can be it's up to you really like you get to decide that and Ellen and we talk about alcoholism but like I said like when I rolled up the, to my first meeting I was like yeah my my loved one's drinking bothers me but like honestly like she's high on drugs all the time like I'm afraid she's gonna get arrested or caught with this stuff you know it's like Nobody told me that I didn't belong because that was what I was worried about. Because the truth is, and this is what it took me a long time to recognize, was that I was in recovery for myself. And that is a part of, like, the hard thing about alcoholism is when we love somebody whose drinking bothers us or whose drugging scares us or something. Um, like, all of our focus goes on that person, right? Like because usually their behavior leads to death. I mean, it's scary stuff. They're doing things that like end up in jail or the hospital or some kind of mental health institution or something, you know, it's, it's scary, scary stuff. Um, so I found myself like putting everything in my life on hold. Like, you know, I can, I can go back to school when I figure out how to get this person sober or I can finally be happy when I fix this. I can, you know, be a better daughter, a better partner, or, you know, when I figure out this problem and how to make it better. So this isn't a group that's going to help you figure out how to change this person or fix this person. This is a group that's going to help you figure out how to manage your life. So short answer, yes. And also (laughs) the interesting thing about it is that we have like this opening and closing that we read at every meeting that talks a little bit about what we do in Alan and one of them says like, the family situation is bound to improve as we apply the Al-Anon ideas. And the Al-Anon ideas are basically like, I take care of myself, I keep the focus on myself and my recovery, I become willing to recognize that I didn't cause this disease in someone else, I can't control this disease in someone else, and I can't cure this disease in someone else, but I can do things that contribute to making it worse, like I can. I've heard people say in meetings, like, I never made them drink, but I sure made them thirsty. <laughs> and that's true. Like, I, I have to begin to recognize, like, what's my part in the chaos that's happening around me? Because I have one. I'm not making the people around me drink, and I can't make them stop drinking. But I can do things that are more loving for myself and for other people. And, and that's something that we learn in, in Al-Anon. One reason I wanted to talk about addiction, you know, in the first five episodes of this podcast, I've really focused on suicide, which, um, well, that's been the focus of my and my family's life for the last year since we lost my sister. Um, but addiction being such a big part of that, a lot of the things that we've been working through um, have to do with her addiction, her behavior, and enabling that behavior. And a lot of the decisions that that I made um, and other family members made that that I've questioned had to do with I don't want to enable her behavior um, and we talked about that in my family like 
not like setting boundaries and not enabling but then feeling so guilty because after the fact you think well this happened because I pushed her away when really it was about setting boundaries so it's created a lot of questions um, for us and I think we're working through those but I just I, I wanted to discuss enabling so that people maybe who do have a loved one who's struggling um, whether it's with addiction or mental illness can understand what what it means to, to what the differences between enabling and helping or being unhelpful um, and how to set those boundaries I I think it's important to say first of all that like Al-Anon is a non-professional program so if you come to an Al-Anon meeting it's going to be a bunch of people like you who've had an experience of loving somebody who's drinking bothers them um, there isn't a therapist in the room there might be they might be just a member um, nobody's leading somebody that day is going to chair the meeting but the next time it might be somebody else they rotate that service position so really what people do is share their own experience strength and hope about what it's like to live with this disease so like words like enabling are kind of clinical terms right? they're things that people talk about in therapy and, and we talk a lot about how to detach in a healthy way how to recognize like the first step in Al-Anon is the same as the first step in AA. Step one is we admitted we were powerless over alcohol and that our lives had become unmanageable. Um, and I've had people tell me like, why do you go to that program? Like you don't have a problem. And I'm, I do. I'm, I have a problem admitting that I'm powerless over this. Like I think there's something I should be able to do. Like, and I, I have shared my first steps is kind of the story about how I came to Al-Anon and I've talked in in different settings about that and a part of my first step story is that I did all of the things to help somebody else and then I did the opposite of all of the things so you know I like drinking with them taking away alcohol yes. driving them yes. taking that kind of thing mm-hmm. yep um, keeping secrets telling everybody you know doing everything I could and then the opposite of everything I could and it didn't work because for me um, I was unable to recognize like m- an appropriate role in that person's life. And, and Al-Anon is a spiritual program, so a lot of our steps talk about a higher power or a God. And a part of that, I'm not a person who ascribes to any particular religion, so that was a little bit uncomfortable for me at first. But what was really helpful for me in that process of adapting like this spiritual nature of this program is I recognized like, I'm not God. And I had been taking a lot of actions in my loved one's life that were like the things that God should do, or maybe something that uh, a doctor should do, or a therapist, or a spiritual advisor, or somebody that wasn't me. Um, I thought that I had to take power because nobody else was. And that was a desperation that came from love. Like I saw this person suffering, and I was like, nobody cares. Nobody sees this. Like we have to stop this. I, I was terrified, right? Like, I took a lot of actions based on fear. And so um, my actions couldn't be based on on love as much. And one of the traditions we have in Al-Anon is that, like, we have this singular purpose in our program. It's to help families of alcoholics, period. And then we do that by welcoming newcomers, by working the 12 steps, that program of recovery ourselves. And then the other part of it is by giving understanding and encouragement to our alcoholic loved ones. And that's so hard to do 
when we think that we should be fixing something. Like, we just see them as a problem. Like, there's something I need to be solved. You're wrong and bad. I gotta fix you. You're not right. Um, and that gets in the way of me actually having meaningful, loving, supportive relationships. So, that was a lot of words about this. But when you think about enabling and boundaries, like for me, it started with recognizing that I was trying to do some stuff that was never mine to do. My job was to love, accept, support, understand this person, and I couldn't. I couldn't. I had so much anger and fear, and you know, I just got in the way of everything. So, practically speaking, like I would go to meetings and people would talk about stuff. I remember, like my my home group when I first started going was in an old church basement in Holland and there was this gent there who's since passed on and he used to read the same misquote actually the same thing from one of our books every single meeting and he would say well time silence can give you command of the situation if nothing else can and that was not an accurate quote but it was the first thing I tried like people would share stuff like I did this and it was helpful to me so I went home and I shut up I usually said words with my alcoholic loved ones or everybody in my life like they would say something to me and I would respond like actually I would react <laughs> I would say things back um, I get very defensive I would justify my actions I would argue I would explain things to them I would try to talk them into things and reason things out with people and like if you've ever been in a relationship with somebody who's drinking or drugging even when they're not drinking or drugging they're still not sober like it's you can't have a conversation with them in the way that that, that you want to so I practice shutting up which is something I've never done you might be able to tell that I'm a person who likes to talk um, and it wasn't the silent treatment it was like I'm gonna just stop a minute and not react to this and everything changed in my home when I did that like everything where I, I used to get a lot of 2 a.m. phone calls from people who were drunk or high and needed my help, um, loved ones, friends, um, and I would take them always and I would worry and like sometimes those phone calls would end badly and sometimes I didn't know what to do and I remember listening to someone in a meeting who said, you know, I learned to shut my phone off at 10 p.m. because, you know, my loved one couldn't stop calling me and I value myself enough to get the sleep and and really like that is a lot of what I learned about having boundaries rather than setting boundaries like boundaries for me in recovery are based on on me like I should be able to have a boundary without having somebody else's name in my mouth because it's not about like what you do like Teresa you cannot drink at this party because you'll get drunk you cannot do that it's about like well if Teresa drinks then I am going to call an Uber I have an idea going into this, and I can talk to Teresa about it, but I don't have to. I just know for myself that I don't get in cars with people who are drinking. I don't argue with people who are drunk. I don't answer my phone after 10 p.m. because I value my sleep enough to, to make sure that I get it. Um, and when I do that stuff and I put the focus on myself and I take care of myself, I don't spend all of my time obsessing and resenting other people. And I wake up refresh because I valued myself and I can have a conversation with my loved ones whose drinking bothers me and I can not constantly react to them so it's like these little tiny changes that people talked about over and over little sayings little things they did that I could take and 
and use myself. And one of the core principles of recovery in Al-Anon is that I get to take what I like and leave the rest. So maybe Teresa shares something that like, no, nah, doesn't really apply to me or that's, yeah. I would never do that. Okay, I don't have to. I don't. I don't do it. I just do the things that seem like they would be helpful to me. I know going to a support group, whether it's Al-Anon or Narcanon or um, NAMI, um, these different groups, I was recommended to do that before my sister died, and I, I wish I had, but there is kind of a, a block for people who've never done it, even as non, not being the person who has the mental illness or who has the addiction, it's still like, it's a scary thing, I don't know, it's, um, maybe it's just, maybe it's for me and my own nature, like if I haven't done it before, it's a little scary because before so I don't really know what to expect and like getting over that hurdle of just making the decision and going so what would you say to someone who's thought about it or who's been told you should maybe try this it would help you but they just can't get over that mental block to do it so I've heard lots of stories from lots of different people about how they ended up in Al-Anon and sometimes you know they had to hear from 18 different people that they should go first and I've heard people say like I drove to the parking lot and then I drove home and I drove to the parking lot and walked the door and then I drove home and I did that like eight times you know and for me like my I had a, a parent that was in Al-Anon when I was a kid so I knew what it was and I was still really terrified and and a part of it for me is like it's the vulnerability of admitting that I need help really that that is what it was for me is like really really admitting shit I can't do this like I can't do this I need somebody to help me with it um and I don't have answers I like being a person with answers it feels comfortable if I have answers if I don't have answers I feel scared feel uncertain Honestly, like even though I had this parent that was in Al-Anon and I had gone to Al-Anon meetings when I was a kid, I colored under the table. I like I knew what it was. Um, I still had I got distracted. Somebody just fell on the table. Um, <laughs> the camera jumps. That's why it's nice to have so many people around. It is. I don't mind it at all. Um, I still had this idea that um, you know I was gonna go there. And somebody was gonna, there was gonna be someone in charge and they were gonna tell me what to do. Um, and I think for a lot of people, like, you know, you're talking about how it's kind of hard to get to the point where you go to your first meeting. I think the second one is almost hard. Do what you wish your kids would do and just try it. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I will say that talking to you, even 
the several times that we've talked has really helped me. Um, and and maybe it's like third party affirmation. You hear something, you hear something, and then you hear it again in a different way, and it's like, oh, okay. Um, like for me, feeling guilty about I should have done this, I could have done this. I I start you start to realize, like you said, you can't. They're gonna do what they're gonna do and you're not going to be able to whether you take away their keys or give them a ride they're going to find a way to accomplish what they want to accomplish um and even though i'd heard that several times before i don't know i i, I begin to feel it more so thank you for that and for anyone who's you know thinking about going to a meeting like this or finding a support group i i, I always so much just imagine sitting in a room and having happen 12 times in a row as many times a week as you want it to happen it's it's a really beautiful powerful thing and and I this is absolutely true I don't say this with any sense of hyperbole or irony or anything Al-Anon saved my life like I think about some things that I've been through in my life and I'm like I'm here today and I'm alive and I have a fulfilling life meaningful relationships with other people because of this program well we'll list the the national website and the local website for West Michigan if you're listening or watching in West Michigan um, in the details of this episode so you can check that out there and even if you just go to the national website you can click to find local chapters near you um, and you can find out if they're doing virtual meetings in-person meetings and, and how to get involved so thank you so much thanks Teresa take an upstream approach to mental health with the be nice action plan Empower yourself and others with knowledge and resources. Empower yourself with protective factors, the people, places, and activities that keep us mentally healthy. Do you have safe and positive coping skills you can rely on to get you through a difficult time period? Practice mentally healthy habits, exercise, have a balanced diet, get enough sleep, and avoid harmful substances. Have resources, like the Suicide Prevention Lifeline or the Crisis Text Line. Learn more about each step of the action plan at benice.org.